Close Source is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycled clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Gentle Vibes, a vintage shop for the psychedelic mind, formerly inside Jeans and Hamtramck with a new Detroit location coming soon. Picnic Wear, a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and dead stock textiles. Picnic Wear strives for minimal waste but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Find Picnic Wear on Instagram at Picnic Wear, that's Wear, W-E-A-R, and PicnicWear.com. No Flight Back Vintage, bringing fun, new life to old things. Always using recycled and secondhand materials to make dope-ass shit for dope-ass people. See more on Instagram at No Flight Back Vintage. Shift Clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the Party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room, all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of L.A., we love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Wide-Eyed Vintage, truly covetable vintage curated in Minneapolis, Minnesota, giving each piece lifetimes of wear beyond the life it has already lived. See more on Instagram at wide underscore eyed vintage. And Shop Journal, upcycled, handmade, and vintage clothing and accessories. One woman owned and operated in Pittsburgh, PA. They love details, bright colors, and everything extra. This month, they're donating to Fair Fight Action. Getting dressed should be fun. See more on Instagram at shop underscore journal. Welcome to Clothes Wars, the podcast that loves clothes but hates capitalism. That's our new tagline, courtesy of listener Anne Branson, who has very cute glasses. Thanks, Anne. And oh yeah, I'm your host, Amanda. Okay, anti-brunchers, we have another super rad episode today. Of course, the main event is the second half of my conversation with the wonderful, the delightful, the major Newsies fan, Claire Duty of Copper Union. Today we'll pick up where we left off, Claire returning to her business after surviving pancreatic cancer, and we'll talk about her plans for the future and why everyone is doing plus-size clothing completely wrong. But first, let's take care of all the other business. Now, 
Normally, I would give a shout out to the newest Patreon supporters, but we don't have any today. And I sort of felt sad about this yesterday because, you know, I'm, I'm super hormonal and I'm tired of being in the house. But I also recognize that it's a really crazy time to ask people to support your podcast with money. So I will say this. If you've been thinking about joining the Patreon, now is a really good time because this month, in addition to all of the other rewards, you'll get a free Anti-Brunch Society pin and membership card. You can learn more at patreon.com slash clotheshorsepodcast. Also this month, if you want to support the pod but don't have the cash, write a review on Apple Podcasts and I'll send you an anti-brunch pin. Just send me the screenshot. That's all. I'm not going to like, you know, make you sign an oath that it was definitely you. I trust you. You all are trustworthy, you anti-brunchers. I know. I have this fantasy, and maybe it's just because I've been cooped up with only Dustin and the cats for so long. That next year we'll all get together to have breakfast for dinner and we'll talk about cool stuff. Like, doesn't that sound great? And everyone will have to show their anti-brunch card to get in. I mean, that sounds really fun to me. (laughs) That's what gets me through these times, you know? Uh, Do you hear that? It's the clothes horse hotline ringing and it's our friend Jillian. Hi again, Amanda. It's Jillian. Um, I'm just leaving a quick little message on your hotline uh, about something we were just discussing, which is the um, the ugly holiday sweater stroke jumper phenomenon. Um, just this morning, I heard something about an office party and the sweaters, and it got me thinking about the, I guess, kind of like novelty clothing at large. And... Um, Something that struck me is this sort of weird, (laughs) um, I don't know if it's like a blowing off steam mechanism or, I don't know, it's a social contract somehow where people feel like by wearing like a whimsical sweater to a party once a year, that somehow like gives them street cred as being whimsical when they aren't the other 364 days or 365 days. Um, And just, I don't know, like, what that transaction is all about, that you go and you you purchase, like, some 100% acrylic monstrous sweater and then throw it away immediately after the party. But in the meantime, is it for photos? Is it fronting somehow? I mean, there's something going on there. (laughs) Maybe you can can pick at it for me. Um, I would be much obliged. You've got my number. I love you. Keep on doing what you do. Bye. You know, after I listened to Jillian's message, I was thinking, hmm, when was the last time I wore a whimsical holiday sweater? Like, I had to really think. And I realized that I had only worn one a single time. And it was a Hello Kitty sweater, which I still own. It's up in my closet awaiting any Christmas party I have to go to in the future. And I wore it a few years ago, that one time that I wore it for a holiday party. In fact, It was for a holiday party at a job that practically, I mean, it just like, it almost destroyed me emotionally and physically. If you've been listening to the hashtag girlboss episodes of the department, then you know all about it already. So the CEO pulled me aside and demanded that I wear a whimsical holiday sweater for the party. It was mandatory and part of me like showing that I was a team player. 
And this threatening side combo was the result of me saying, I don't actually have any Christmas sweaters and it seems silly to buy something for one wear. And it was like, well, OMG, what are you thinking? Okay, so I got the sweater, right? And the party itself was incredibly unfun. This was an office where everyone else was similarly like miserable and just sort of beaten down and anxious. But we had to pull it together to have this like mandatory fun, which side note, I hate mandatory fun at company events, you know, like happy hours, parties, weird all hands meetings that happen in the middle of the afternoon, but involve booze. I just hate it. Like for me, work is work. And when I'm there, I'm there to work. No matter how much I love the people on my team, I don't want to get shit-faced with them, and I'm already spending so much time with them every day, way more than I spend with my family and friends, that I don't understand why I would give up a whole evening to have mandatory fun with them, the sort of mandatory fun where, you know, I can't really be myself because, you know, it's work. But back to the horrible mandatory Christmas sweater party. That boss was the sort of person who felt like a work event could only be fun if there was a competitive element included. And in fact, I remember she was really into going to those like, uh, oh my gosh, what are they called? Escape rooms on the weekends just for funsies. The previous year, we had had some sort of trivia thing. And the next day I was required to give multiple talking tos to several people who were being unsportsmanlike. This particular year, there was like a ridiculous amount of alcohol, like enough for every employee to have 10 drinks at least. So you know what happened? People, not me, got super wasted. I had to put them in Ubers to go home. And the next day, I was given a talking to about how I should discourage my team from drinking so much. And like, wow, what a fun and festive time. So glad we did that. There's something about whimsical Christmas sweaters and mandatory office fun. They make sense together. You know, like chocolate and peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly. I guess it depends what kind of person you are. In a Venn diagram, how large is the intersection between whimsical Christmas sweaters and mandatory office fun? But surely Christmas sweaters, these tacky, ugly, whatever you want to call them, Christmas sweaters weren't always a mandatory outfit or a party theme, right? You might be surprised to learn that Christmas sweaters became a thing in the 1950s when the commercialization of Christmas was like really picking up momentum. I mean, when we look at the 50s, we've talked about this in the past, that's kind of where we really saw commercialism, consumerism really just get ramped up. You know, like that post-war era, like the boomers, right? These Christmas sweaters were not ironic on any level. And it was just like a fun, festive outfit for the whole family. In the 80s, the sweaters got uglier and weirder. They became what we think of now as ugly Christmas sweaters. This was the era of adding tons of embellishment, like glitter, sequins, 3D elements, and of course, jingle bells. (laughs) And as you know, it was also a great outfit for a big ol' awkward family photo. See also, Christmas pajamas for the whole family. (laughs) In the 90s, ugly Christmas sweaters were predominantly sort of dormant. They were too dated and uncool to actually wear and too recent to be reclaimed ironically. So they just kind of, some people still wore them. They were a little bit tasteful. They might have like a cardinal frolicking in the snow, you know, that kind of thing. So knowing that, 
when did these ugly Christmas sweater parties begin? Because that's, that's where it all began, right? Well, I did some digging and here's what I found in a complex, that's the site, not the adjective, in a complex article from 2016. The authors of Ugly Christmas Sweater Party Book, The Definitive Guide to Getting Your Ugly On, claim to have traced the origins of the now widespread ugly sweater party tradition to its roots in Vancouver, British Columbia. So wait, it's it's the Canadians? <laughs> According to the book, two men named Chris Boyd and Jordan Birch are responsible for the first ever ugly Christmas sweater party, which took place at the Commodore Ballroom in Vancouver in 2002. Speaking with The Rush on Shaw TV, the godfathers of the tradition say they set out to organize a, quote, cheery, feel-good, festive party, and the sweaters were a main ingredient of that. So it doesn't sound like there was any mandatory fun involved, just like straight up fun. So that was 2002. It's 2020 now, right? (laughs) 18 years later, and I'm still seeing racks and racks of brand new Christmas sweaters at like every department store. You know what I mean? Like you could go to Macy's, but you could also go to like Walmart or Target, like just tons of them. And like every other like specialty retailer has jumped on it too. Like even Dolls Kill has wacky Christmas sweaters. And if you go to a thrift store, like every single thrift store in the Western world, I swear, there are racks upon racks upon racks of Christmas sweaters in all sizes for adults and children. Just like so many. Sometimes, a lot more often than I would like to see, with the original tags still on them. In other words, I would speculate that there are possibly way more Christmas sweaters in the world right now than people. I read a pretty grim article in The Guardian from last year about Christmas, quote, jumpers in the UK. This is some content for all of you UK listeners. (laughs) It's analysis of 108 garments on sale this year from 11 high street and online retailers, including Primark and Topshop, found that 95% of the jumpers were made wholly or partly of plastic materials, i.e. like acrylic and polyester. And as you know, those materials sit in the landfill for centuries. Research found that two out of five Christmas jumpers are only worn once over the entire holiday season, and one in three adults under 35, one in three buys a new Christmas jumper every year, which will then, when I bring you to the next point, will make sense, which is that one in four of these jumpers went to the landfill in the same year it was bought or very closely thereafter. So we've got all these sad sweaters that are going to sit in the landfill for centuries, being worn maybe once and heading off. I started to get depressed thinking about how many of these sweaters were bought, worn once, and then just like thrown out just because, you know, someone was required to wear one to a work party or some other event that, you know, they begrudgingly bought the sweater. Maybe someone else picked it out for them. It would seem as if the concept of the ugly Christmas sweater once, you know, like a cool trend of liberating those crazy sweaters from the thrift store, like that's where it began. There were not new Christmas sweaters in the same way. You would go get them at the thrift store, right? It's been co-opted by the big retailers as a way to make some more money, you know, in the fourth quarter of the year. So they're churning out tons and tons of 
brand new ugly Christmas sweaters, like brand new intentionally ugly and tacky, very plasticky Christmas sweaters and dresses and vests. I've seen pants. It's all there, right? And then, you know, possibly those same retailers force their employees to wear them for bummer holiday parties. I don't know. That's extra sad, right? The origin of the ugly Christmas sweater party was fun. It was, dare I say it, sustainable. It was whimsical. It was just sort of like an ironic holiday costume. Now it's just future garbage, like super near-in future garbage, begrudgingly worn for these just like faux cheery mandatory fun events. Now, my intention here is not to poop all over your Christmas sweater because if you know me IRL, then you know I love a theme party. I love a special getup for a special occasion. And if putting on your holiday sweater makes you feel festive, especially this year, then please, please put on your sweater and send me a photo. But also, don't go buy a new Christmas sweater every year. Like wear the same one year after year. It can be your like signature thing. And please, please don't ever be the boss of a company that forces everyone to wear a special outfit for a mandatory party. The term mandatory party. I mean, come on. (laughs) I would love to hear your opinion on special holiday clothes, especially sweaters, but you know, there's all kinds of other stuff out there. Hats, pajamas, robes, slippers, you know, it's all out there. You've seen it. You maybe own it. So please DM me on Instagram at Podcast or drop me an email at clotheshorsepodcast at gmail.com or you can call me on the Close Horse Hotline, 717-925-7417. Okay, we're going to make an abrupt shift into a new topic. It's just like that. I need like a gong. <laughs> I'm hung up on the gong. Anyway, I want to talk to you a little bit about fat phobia. I have to say, I mean, I could do like 30 episodes on this and I'm not an expert, but I can say that 100% for certain, the fashion industry is fat phobic, period, full stop. I've worked in that industry for years and I've seen it every single day. The passive aggressive comments about how much someone is eating for lunch. I mean, I literally had a job where I ate in the bathroom because I couldn't handle it anymore. I like my lunch, okay? How about... Diets shared on Slack. Snide comments about people being, quote, large enough to wear a medium. I mean, I've mentioned on a previous episode that I heard an associate buyer who reported to me, like I was her boss, say to my planner, who's supposed to be like my partner in all of this, that I was too fat to dress the way I dressed. And they both laughed. It was odd to me because ostensibly... The clothes that I was wearing were my size, bought from where we all worked. So I don't understand. How was I too fat for them? It doesn't matter. It was just mean girlness, right? I've worked in offices where, for some reason, a manager worked hard to gaslight a clearly sized small woman to believe that she was a large medium. Like, what? <laughs> that's And that's in quotes. A, quote, large medium. I mean, that that girl's waist was like 25 inches. (laughs) It's just like so gross. Not her waist being 25 inches, but just that this behavior was going on. And you can't forget that all the samples come in a small or an extra small. So if you aren't tiny, you constantly have to defer to a smaller member of the team to try them on. And it chips away at you because you know what's going on. 
everywhere else in that office, right? You will sit in meetings and hear grown adults talk about how the six foot tall, 110 pound model looks, quote, fat. You'll hear a stylist say that they will try to make a larger person look good, but it will be hard. It's an industry that will make you hate your body every fucking day, no matter how okay you felt about it when you began that career in this industry. Being fat is like the worst thing that could ever happen to you. As I was researching for this episode, I read a crazy statistic where 95% of teenage girls surveyed said that they would rather die than gain weight. That's the world we live in. The fashion industry just kind of magnifies it, or maybe it manifests it, or maybe the fashion industry is the living embodiment of all the ugliness inside of so many people. I don't know. The thing is, I've faced all these struggles and I've seen it around me, but I can say I'm quote standard size or straight size or maybe core size if you work somewhere that's trying to be size inclusive. So I have a ton of privilege. You know, I can easily find vintage clothes. I can shop just about everywhere. And I'm aware of that because as we're going to discuss today, this industry is so fat phobic that it can't even bring itself to make clothes for larger people even as it leaves billions of dollars on the table. This industry is struggling to stay afloat in 2020. I read today, sales in the fashion, the entire fashion industry are down 90% to last year. That is like nightmare zone, trust me, for all the people who work in those companies. They're all afraid they're going to lose their jobs if they haven't already. And yet, if they just sold clothes to more people, they wouldn't be in that boat. This industry prioritizes being, quote, aspirational over, you know, running a goddamn business. I sound like my dad there, but you know, it's like, come on, guys. And by the way, I am totally on board to start a petition to rid the world of the term aspirational because in fashion, that word is only used politely to point out what is too fat, too poor, or too non-white. Maybe it's all three. The stigma against fat people doesn't begin with the fashion industry, but it certainly doesn't help. I found a 2010 paper from the NIH, that's the National Institute of Health, that said, recent estimates suggest that the prevalence of weight discrimination has increased by 66% over the past decade and is now comparable to prevalence rates of racial discrimination in America. So where is it in 2020? It's probably worse is my guess, because I will say fat phobia and fat shaming are like everywhere. Like once you start to look for it, it's everywhere. Like for example, how about those who wore it better comparisons you see in celebrity magazines? You know, like the kind you buy to read on the airplane, but like never any other time, maybe at the beach. I don't know. Some people like to call that content who wore it fatter. Because the biggest person, the least white person, will always be the one who didn't wear it better, who I guess, in fact, wore it worse. That shit gets into everyone's heads, okay? We start to train our brains to think that the thinner, whiter person always wore it better. But there's more. It's like on an airplane when someone doesn't want to sit next to you because you're larger. When people make rude remarks about what's in your cart in the grocery store, when people say shitty things to you on dating sites, or here's a special 2020 version of fat phobia. 
How many times have I seen someone on Reddit attribute a younger person's death of COVID to their weight? As if that's the only reason someone young would die of COVID. As if it isn't a crazy, unpredictable illness that will randomly decimate anyone's body. A 2018 LinkedIn survey of 4,000 UK workers found that workers who were classed as obese according to their BMI, which by the way, BMI is like bullshit, earned about $2,500 less per year compared to those with the quote healthy BMI. One in four workers classed as overweight felt they had missed out on a job opportunity or promotion because of their size, and this rose to nearly a third among those who were obese. Over half, 53% of overweight people said that they felt left out of their team at work because of their weight. It like enrages me that we can't just let people have a good life, right? We have to constantly be othering someone. Fat phobia has its origins in so many places. Sociology professor Sabrina Strings wrote a book called Fearing the Black Body, where she dissects the racist history of fat phobia. It can be traced all the way back to slavery. White Protestant women were expected to be as thin as possible as a way of showing that they never gave in to like the disgusting, gluttonous temptation of food, with the assumption being that they were superior to black women who ostensibly could not resist the lure of food. And even now in 2020, there's a belief that black people are fat, they're unhealthy, they're diabetic. That's another thing I see on Reddit all the time is like, that's why black people are dying of COVID. No, it has nothing to do with the systemic failures of both capitalism and our healthcare system. Nope, it's just that they're fat. I fucking hate that so much. Can you tell I'm getting riled up over here? This is a quote from Strang's. We cannot deny the fact that fat phobia is rooted in anti-blackness. That's simply a historical reality. Today, when people talk about it, they often claim that they don't intend to be anti-black. They don't intend all of these negative associations, and yet they exist already. So whenever people start trafficking in fat phobia, they are inherently picking up on these historical forms of oppression. Basically, you need to unpack your fat phobia and racism together. And I found that interesting because in my experience in the fashion industry, the kind of people that know that they can't say something overtly racist at work have no problem saying all kinds of fat phobic cruel things about other women, models, coworkers. Which brings me to the next element of fat phobia, and that's classism. Being fat is associated with being poor. The rich are thin because they can afford private chefs and wellness nonsense and Pilates and yoga retreats and therapeutic colonics. But really, they have access to better food and they have more leisure time to work out and do wellness stuff and they have more money, right? Because when you're broke and you have kids, you don't have time to go to Pilates class and you have to buy the food that's available in your neighborhood and you'll probably never buy one of those ridiculous like $300 week-long juice fast kits, you know? Or maybe you're working two jobs and you're just eating whatever you can get between shifts. Once again, I'll hear people say classes shit too, like at work, on Slack, at gross mandatory fun work parties. See how it came full circle? You know, sustainability is 50% people and that means social justice is an important part of sustainability. To live a truly sustainable life, We need to unpack our own biases, our internalized fat phobia, 
our racism, the classism, and we need to hold others accountable. Like, why isn't sustainable fashion offered in more sizes? We need to demand that. And to be honest, we shouldn't be giving our money to anyone who isn't trying to dress everyone. When you unpack fat phobia and you see its racist and classist origins, you begin to realize that any brand that doesn't want to dress larger people, well, that company's an asshole. And their unwillingness to dress fat people is just like the tip of the iceberg of bad behavior. Because being fat phobic, it's all connected to racially profiling black shoppers, to not paying garment workers, to creating a toxic work culture, to making shitty clothes that pollute the planet. These behaviors are all like traveling buddies. If you see one, chances are all the other ones are there too. Your money is as powerful as your vote. Don't give your money to assholes. Don't give your money to companies that won't dress everyone. Okay, well, now that I've lectured you, let's get back into my conversation with Claire. So what was your journey back? You know, because obviously you're like, you're back in business. Like you are making all kinds of stuff and dressing all kinds of people. Was it hard to regain that momentum that you'd kind of had to lose? I mean, not Mm kind of had to lose, like 100% lost? Or were people just like, oh my God, thank God you're back. We've been waiting for you. Um, Who? Sorry. (laughs) It was the second. um, And it was amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. I, I was so terrified that everyone would forget who I was. And not not forget who I was, but forget what I was doing and forget the designs mm-hmm. that I was making and forget the Copper Union existed. And it was the opposite. It was, you know, I had amazing customers that, because I made a post saying like, I, I was always very transparent about everything that was going on with me. And um, I made a post telling everyone that I had to take, I basically... I think it was August. I started chemo in June and August. I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore because my body just, I wasn't able to. Um, And so then I came back basically the following June um, and everyone was so excited. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try knockout again. Like, let's see if this can happen and kind of held my breath a little bit. And it was the most amazing experience ever. Um, I, like I said, I do not, I do not crave fame and the limelight. Um, and at knockout in 2019, um, at the end of the show, I went, I like, cause I'm producing the show. So I'm backstage calling the show, getting the models on, making sure that everything is running in the way that it is. And we have, um, a speaker and a host, uh, as part of the show. And my two girlfriends that helped me backstage doing, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes work literally were like dragging me out on stage. And I just was like, Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then I just went out there and it was a room full of people 
crying and screaming and clapping and stomping (laughs) their feet and yelling. And it was just, it was amazing. It was, I can't even describe the feeling like I felt so uncomfortable because I don't, I don't want to be the center of attention in that way. And even Mm -hmm. though knockout is like my baby and it's, you know, I work on it all year for a show in the fall. Um, it was just incredibly validating to realize uh, how big of a difference, like what what the difference that I can make for people on an individual level um, just by giving them clothing to wear. So it was coming back um, was even better than I thought it could ever be. I mean, that's, that's amazing, but it doesn't surprise me that people were so excited to have you back because you and I talked about this before, like fashion and style is this creative expression mm-hmm. and there's this group of people, it's so many people who don't get to have that opportunity to express themselves creatively through their clothing because no one's making them clothes. I mean, when I think about that, that that chokes me up because I know that there are plenty of people out there who think that clothes are dumb, fashion is stupid, we're all really shallow. But for those of us who express ourselves that way, that it's like a creative puzzle that we put together every day, mm-hmm. to not have the pieces to do that is just – it's like missing out on one of the simplest joys in life, I think. And that yeah. just kills me. Yeah. Makes me mad at everyone. Yeah. And it's, and it happens on so many different levels because, um, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever listened to the fat lip podcast? I haven't. Okay. So I recommend some homework and, um, the woman who created it, uh, is named Ash and she lives down in Texas and she, um, basically came up with these terms about different sizes of bodies in the plus size world. Um, because there's, uh, you know, there's the 16, I'm going to, I should have looked this up to tell you exactly what it is. Cause I'm going to mess it up, but basically there's small fats, which, um, you can find clothing in stores in retail, like in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you struggle with it, but you, you know, there's, there's choices and you can find things online. Then there's mid fats, which um, I believe starts at like size 20 and goes to like size 26. And that is people um, who can find some things in specialized plus size stores and sometimes in department stores, but, you know, but also have to supplement with online. And Mm -hmm. then there is, I believe it, then it goes to Infinifat um, and basically like, those are people who I think that goes up to a size 36 and like they cannot find clothing in person in stores, like even Torrid, which is, you know, kind of the, the be all end all in, in plus size retail physical storefronts. Uh, I believe Torrid goes up to a size six, which is a size 30 or 32. Mm-hmm. Um, and universal standard goes up to a size 40 but there's there's so many people that are still left out. Like the average size woman in America is now an 18 
it was a 16. It's now an 18. Like I always tell people when they're like hemming and hawing over what size to get in something. I'm like, get what fits you right now. Like get what fits your body because bodies will always change. Mm-hmm. And honestly, statistically, you will probably be larger next year than you were this year. Like mm-hmm. that is the way that it goes. There is nothing wrong with that. But it just is, um, for me, it was something really important to go up to a size 30 initially. I have now expanded. Um, I just have started doing, so I did, 30 was a size 5 in my line, which is a 2830. Um, and now I have a size 7, so I've expanded two more sizes. And um, that is like a 3436. Um, and I also expanded, well, I feel like expand is the wrong word. I went after like a lot of consideration and actually like a lot of heartache about it. I ended up doing a size zero. Um, one of my best selling items is a pair of overalls called the Esther overalls. And they're, uh, a a friend now they came to me as as a stranger customer at first, and they were saying that um, they were trying to find overalls that were, um, you know, not fitted and loose and just comfortable. Um, and they're non-binary and um, really wanted to find something that, you know, wasn't too feminine, wasn't too masculine, like was a nice gender neutral overall, like something that you would think is very easy Um, but they couldn't find it oversized because for some reason, mass fashion does not think that fat people want oversized clothing. Like I personally have zero interest in a bodycon dress. I know that there are people that do, but like, give me a flowy tent any day of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. And, uh, so yeah, so I did, I designed the Esther overalls for Esther. That's their name. And then it just kind of like exploded. And because of that, and because of the way the fit, my size one people, because they basically are like a whole size um, larger for having it be oversized. But the size one was like, hey, these are too big. I want them to be more fitted because everyone, like 95% of people size down for that piece. And so I decided to do a size zero. And then... I will never do everything in a size zero because first of all, like fuck the concept of size zero. Um, I know. When you say it, like just hearing you say it, it was filling filling me with like so much rage because why would any size be a zero? I know. When that implies like no matter exists or something, you know? Totally. <laughs> yeah. When in reality it was like I had size one. So what? Negative one? No, that would be even, that's even darker. (laughs) Exactly. And so I won't ever, you know, I, I have one clothing item in my line that I do from standard size extra small. So teeny human to uh, size six in my line. So size 32, 34, there is that, that gap does exist of straddling the standard and plus size. And I had enough people ask me, um, I used to be part of this co-working space and social club and 
so many of the people there, the women there asked me, um, they wanted, I, it's this set, it's a wrap crop top and a, like, not a full circle skirt, but a, a flowier skirt. And they just wanted it and wanted it. And finally I was like, okay, I will pattern it. I will do this, this only. Mm-hmm. Just, it feels so weird to design things for not fat people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say there is like, there is this gap out there for people who are size 10 to 14 also. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of like more contemporary lines stop at an 8 or a 10 and the 10 is small. You know what I mean? Like I I feel like people from size 10 up are also just being excluded more and more, mm-hmm. uh, which is ironic to me because I feel – and this is just me. I think I live in a bubble and I'm very optimistic that – finally we're starting to get over this shit and make just clothes for people but then i would like go to trade shows and ask why the the line ended at a size eight i mean that's like not even any sizes and it would be like well if you want to add a 10 we you're gonna have to buy like a ton of units like it was just so crazy to Uh me or i would say like do you do this in plus and they would be like oh do you mean like a size 12 (laughs) i'm like what is wrong with you yeah (laughs) (laughs) But I think that does speak to how sizing is still just so stupid and it's, I I don't know. I, I had a stylist at a job um, and it was a place where I was pushing really, really hard for as much sizing as possible, which I hate that term too, because nothing is ever size inclusive. Right. And we the plan was that we would shoot on a four, like everybody does, right? But then we'd also shoot on a 10, and then we would shoot on like an 18 or a 20. And the stylist was like, I just don't know how much stuff I can make look good on a 10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so what do you think about the 20? <laughs> like if you – like do you think you're going to be able to shoot a lot of stuff on 20? And she's like, I'd actually like to go into the smallest plus size. It's going to look better. And this is also a person who's like a size double zero. Do you know what I mean? Like there's the gatekeepers of what gets made, what gets photographed. They think that they know what's best for people who are not tiny, I guess is what I'm saying. And in their mind, all the sizes that aren't like a four or a two or a zero are problematic. Mm -hmm. And that anybody – this come and then you know what always comes up is an adjective that I hate and I know you hate too, which is flattering – Mm-hmm. I hate that term that so we should do, that we should dress to be flattering um and I yeah. think I mean that happens in all kinds of areas but specifically when we talk about the larger sizes there's this idea of like here's what you need to do you need to cover your arms mm-hmm. you need to define the waist you need to cover the chest like you can only wear these colors like there's this horrible horrible influencer Danielle Bernstein who just steals everybody's ideas and she's got her own issues she like photoshops herself down to be like a size zero but she will be like I'm doing extended sizing now like she has like like a collab with Macy's that actually does all the sizes and she'll only do the extended sizes in the dark colored stuff oh yeah so like maybe a dress comes in black and white only the black will come in the extended sizes Mm. and I'm like why like, who decided that that's, that's, that's what people who wear larger sizes want, that they don't want to wear white clothes? Now, I personally 
know a lot of people, myself included, who don't want to wear white clothes because they get stained and we can't be trusted with nice things. But that's not that is me. That is me too. That is not why they're making that decision. You know what I mean? Or just like I I had told you when when we talked before that, you know, at Mod Cloth originally there was a separate plus buying team and they were all like very, very thin people who were like the gatekeepers of what plus size people were allowed to wear. I mean, they they were they were like that. Like, we can't buy that because the sleeve doesn't cover enough, or that's too fitted, or the neckline's too low, or like, no, the plus size customer really wants a fit and flair. And I know that that is not true. Yeah. All the people, this whole group of people with many different aesthetics and personas, mm-hmm. they don't all want a fit and flair dress, which is my least favorite kind no. of dress anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know... I, it's it drives me up the wall that I just I, <laughs> I know I know it's just it's just like insidious because even though know, you you're talking about torrid I feel like torrid has a few oh, really yeah. specific silhouettes that they just keep rolling yeah. out and that's it and they push the jeans hard really really hard mm-hmm. but it it's really like. Because I remember when I was younger, I didn't shop at Torrid because Torrid was like for goth girls, and it was <laughs> it was yeah it, it was, was like yeah kind of Lolita and kind of you know it was it's it's Hot Topic stepsister and um, it just it was something that I never considered and then I started slowly dipping my toe into it and buying stuff at it and realizing like okay. This is way better than Lane Bryant because that's like, you know, it's Tord or Lane Bryant. Those are your choices at a mall. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's just, that's something that is so frustrating that people make assumptions that, you know, sure, there definitely is a girl that will only wear a fit and flare skirt or dress every day of the week. Sure, there is a person that will you know every everyone has their own sense of comfort their own sense of style their own sense of everything and those choices don't exist in plus um and you know it's it's like there's this set of rules that someone made up that we have to follow that that is the only that is that is the be all end all that is that is the only way it's going to be mm-hmm. when in reality like I don't want to wear a tunic and a pair of jeans. Well, that's the uniform at Torrid, I would say, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's yeah, what they've decided. Top. Maybe you'll put a cardigan over it. Um, but, you know, to me, like, I, it, it takes the temperature being below 40 for me to actually put something on with sleeves. <laughs> like, I have spent a lot of money on putting beautiful art on my arms Uh and I don't want to, I don't want to cover that up. And also I don't need to, because I'm not scared of the fact that like my arms aren't perfect and shapely and they aren't, you know, whatever standards someone might have, I'm not going to fit in that box. And I can say as someone who is 36 and who has done a lot of work, on loving themselves and loving their body and a lot of acceptance. Um, It's not easy to get to that place, but it is so fucking glorious to be here. 
and to be able to be comfortable in my own skin. I wish that 16 year old Claire could have felt that because she was fucking magical Mm -hmm. and so many people made her feel like she wasn't. Um, And it hurts my heart that there are people that are my age that are 10 years older than me. that are 20 years older than me that don't understand that about themselves that every body is a good body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what it is or how it functions or how it doesn't function. Like it is beautiful. And um, we all deserve, you know, beautiful art and beautiful clothing to put on it. Totally. Totally. I apologize that my cat keeps walking in and out of the room and (laughs) wanting to appear on here. (laughs) She is a fancy lady. She wears a tuxedo every day. Oh, wow. Yep. (laughs) I like literally, you were talking before and I was like trying to get her to go away because I'm wearing headphones. I could like hear her and you're trying to talk to me and tell me these important things. (laughs) No, it's okay. I mean, this is the first time my cats haven't bothered me while I've been recording because I've got three and they really like, they follow me around like I'm Snow White. And so we have to be together all the time, especially because like I'm a house cat now too. So (laughs) they're like, yeah. We have so much in common. We all like to sit <laughs> on the couch together in the sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we like people to pet our bellies and right behind our ears. <laughs> or maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I have this I usually have all three of them in here wrestling and being bad when I'm trying to record, but they must be busy. I don't know. I don't know where they are. It's very, very unusual. Um, but I, usually someone's trying to walk here. across my computer and like just make trouble. You know, scratch my tights. So <laughs> we love them so much. We do, we do, we do. Something I asked you about, we kind of talked about before, was so we so okay. There's still not a lot of companies that make clothes in larger sizes, right? I mean, like you said, you go to the mall, you might not even get Lane Bryant because a bunch of those yeah. stores are closing. Yeah. You have Tord, which is very casual, I would say. You know, it's like a very specific aesthetic. It's, it's something that struck me a couple of years ago that fast fashion embraced extended sizing more than anyone else. Like Fashion Nova and Forever 21. And I mean, Torrid is fast fashion, you know? Yeah. yeah. Why? I mean, I have like so many feelings about why the fancy <laughs> brands haven't adopted it. But why do you think they went so hard into it? First of all, all of those are junior slash like Asian sizing. And I don't want to like sound like a horrible person, but like Asian sizing, but like it is junior, it is small. Their 3X is a joke. It is not a 3X. Um, But I think that honestly, I feel like it probably was that their customer base is our American teenagers and American teenagers Mm -hmm. are bigger they were when I was growing up or our parents were growing up or our grandparents were growing up. And I think that uh, they just, they saw a hole in the market and that they realized that they could make a shit ton of money if they just made their clothes a little bit bigger. I mean, it's true. They, it's, that's why I'm like, well, it seems to me, and I, I say this because at Mod Cloth, 
our business had plateaued a long time ago. And so we started adding more and more plus size stuff to the assortment. And that was what was like carrying the business for years. Talk to anybody who worked there in that period. And they're like, no, if we had stopped stopped that whole initiative, the business would have gone under. And so I know there's all this money there. And that's why I I get that the the fast fashion brands would want to jump on this. Why isn't everybody? It's it's so it's so crazy. And I know you told me something that was really important. Well, you know, first off, you blew my mind that of course the Forever 21 plus size clothes is junior size because so is all the other stuff, right? But it just hadn't occurred to me. Totally, yeah. And it seems that like people maybe don't become re- repeat customers of them because they go in, it doesn't fit, and they never go back again. And I have mm-hmm. worked places where there have been similar problems where there hasn't been a lot of like integrity around the extended sizes. So people come, they buy they buy something one time, they're incredibly disappointed and they feel terrible after they try to wear it. Mm-hmm. And then they never come back. But totally. I feel like some of these retailers are like, well, we tried it. No one liked it. So <laughs> just like, why does everybody get it so wrong? <laughs> because they're not fat people. It's true. It's true. I mean, like I've worked in offices where – if you're a size eight, you are just the most massive person ever mm-hmm. and you're kind of shunned and judged for it. And these are the very same people who are like, I'm going to pick out what we're going to buy for plus. Ugh. And you, no, you know, so like, like I would have people come up to me and say like, hey, you've bought plus before. So can you tell me what plus size people like? And I'm like, well, what do you like? This, yeah. this, and this. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's what they like too. Unless yeah. they have different tastes. Then they like this other thing. Yeah. Like it's not like – these are people from another planet, people who walk on their hands instead of their feet. That might change things, you know? I mean, I do that. I just <laughs> – I actually cut out all of my clothing with my toes. Oh, I can't even do that. I hate feet so much. That just like, yeah, that's really gross. <laughs> but I also think like there's this weird classism oh, yeah. attached to size, which, you know, it's like – when I hear people talking poorly about poor people or rural people, it's always like, and they're fat mm-hmm. and they have bad taste. And I feel like that's another reason why fancy brands – well, why fancy brands don't even want to go over size 10 mm-hmm. because it's getting into poor person territory or mm-hmm. rural territory or like Midwestern territory. Mm-hmm. And then you were like, Midwestern, how about Target? Let's talk about how Target, I feel, and I don't know how the integrity of their sizing is because I do feel like all their clothes are kind of all over the place size-wise. No offense to people who design for Target that listen to this. But <laughs> they do the best job of making plus-size clothes that are pretty trendy. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like that's what's missing because like when I would go to market and look for plus-size clothes for my last job – like everything was either really hoochie for lack of a better adjective mm-hmm. or like really like frumpy. Yeah. You know, and like matronly or you're it's it's so tight that you might as well just be wearing saran wrap. Yeah, yeah. Like there was a lot of that and like weird cutouts and just like where are you gonna you can't wear that to work, for example, yeah. or like to go visit your mom at the hospital or like, you know, most things. Over it. It'll be fine. 
But I, I, I was always shocked by just how it was like, yeah, fat people don't want trends. They just either want to be really, really inappropriately sexy for all occasions <laughs> or they – maybe sometimes the clothes are like cutesy adult baby looking clothes. I've seen mm-hmm. that too. Lots mm-hmm. of Peter Pan collars and novelty prints. Um, those are the brands that are like, oh, it, all women anyway should just wear uh, like, you know, a fit and flare because it's the most flattering, right? And then there's like – or you just have to dress like your mom. Yeah. <laughs> and so – Target, I feel like, does a pretty good job there. And you and I were talking about that. Like, why does Target do the best job? You know? Like, how are they doing so much better than everyone else? I mean, they kill it in a lot of other places too. But Mm -hmm. they seem like they're sort of setting the trend there. Yeah. And they they have had – so they had an original plus size line called uh, Ava and Viv. Mm -hmm. And then – they actually pulled it all from the stores to like revamp it and it came back and it was garbage. Oh, really? So before it was better and then it got worse? Yep. What and happened? it's a little bit better. Um, they just like – I almost feel like they tried too hard. And it just – they took away um, – like first of all, don't – H&M did the same thing that they had plus size in the stores and then they took it away and they only had it in European stores. Oh my God. This, everyone does this. Yeah. Every anthropology is doing the same thing. Well, and what it, the only thing I can determine that it really comes down to is the grading. Um, Mm -hmm. Grading is what the process of making patterns bigger or smaller uh, because you have, you know, a fit model and they are typically a size depending on what your brand is, but they're typically a size, you know, six or eight, uh, cause they want it to be in the middle of your size range. And, um, really when it comes down to it, even in standard sizes, but especially in plus sizes and standard sizes, you don't want to grade more than two sizes above or below your fit model. Um, that's interesting cause- too. Cause I would say a lot of places are not doing that. And that is why their clothes fit badly. Yeah, and it's it's tricky because, like, especially in plus, bodies grow at such a different rate um, mm-hmm. than they do in standard sizes. And I know with H and M, because like basically, there's like there's two types of plus. There's European plus bodies, and there's American plus bodies. Okay. Um, and obviously, there's plus bodies everywhere in the world. But for Americans, we're shorter and rounder. Europeans, you know, think of like Vikings. They're taller, they're broader, but they're, I don't want to say flat, but like, you know, it's the, the, the circumference of their hips is in the width, not in the, the roundness of it. Um, And so I know like with H&M, they graded for that European plus body. And so it didn't work on American plus bodies. And I think that that's what happened at Target is that they had, um, this original line. And I think that they pulled it to improve the grading and then they came back and it was matronly and it was a little bit off. And it was, um, they tried to use some influencers to help them do it. And it just, I feel like they just like didn't listen or were trying to listen. Or like I said, they just were trying too hard and it just fell flat and it didn't work. And Like, also, don't pull your shit from stores and then have a, like, 
six month gap that nothing's available because <sighs> I know that's a so real bad. hard time getting people to come back. Well, right, because they're going to assume it's gone. Yeah, luckily, around the same time that it came back, Wild Fable started uh, coming out at Target, mm-hmm. and I think that that kind of helped fill the gap of what Ava and Viv used to be and what Wild Fable brought to the table, which, you know, is quote-unquote size inclusivity. And I think that that is, that's a hot-button topic that so many, so many brands, so many stores, so many people will claim size inclusivity right now. And you're, none of them are. Looking right now to see how, how high the sizes go, 4X, I mean, that's not, no, that's not inclusive. No, no. <laughs> No, I mean, like the only, I would say one of the only brands that comes close to size inclusivity is Universal Standard mm-hmm. because they go from a zero to a 40. Mm-hmm. But even that, there are people who are over a 40. Right, and right. It's, you can't call yourself size inclusive unless you will do custom sizing in any size. Right. And brands aren't, brands don't do that. Like, and it's, it's something that I always struggle with is, how much I, how much education and dedication I need to give to a customer to make them understand why things are the way they are or how things work the way that they do. And I think that a lot of people are just like, well, you have that pattern, so just make it bigger. And I'm like, yeah, but there's grade rules and there's ways that things are supposed to grow and plus bodies don't follow that. And mm-hmm. there's so many times that things are made and the, the fit is horrific. And like you said, then people won't go back there. And so I think it's just, that's something that I really try to focus on with my line is I work really hard to make sure that like it will fit a variety of bodies. Cause like with American plus being shorter and rounder, um, if you were actually to look at plus bodies and I'm talking about bigger plus bodies, like above a size 24, um, we have, uh, I'm like a 22, so I'm like right on the edge of that. So I can find some things that will work, but there's other things that won't. But so above a size 24, if, if the person has a significant belly or, you know, stomach, they have a tipped waistline. Waistlines tip forward and the waist is higher in the back and lower in the front. And we need extended rises, which is the measurement if you were to like put a tape measure on your belly button, put it through your legs and pull it up the back of your bum. Um, you know, Who doesn't want to do that? Sounds fun. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh man. The number of actors I had to do that with in college and Whew, that's a way to get to know someone. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially we had to send out memos and be like, it's fitting week. Please wear deodorant and underwear. <laughs> Like, we had to meet, like dancers and you know people wearing little to no things of as undergarments and it would always be like oh god we had to do their rise and they weren't wearing underpants and yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um i digress but for you know there's so many things that need to be tweaked and need to be different and unless you're a fat person or a pattern wizard, mm-hmm. you don't understand that. People, there's not enough data out there. There's not enough, uh, you know, Nike, 
and Adidas and like all the bigger uh, athleisure and sports companies do tons and tons and tons of research, tons of body scans, tons of, um, you know, measurements and different things that they do in, in the secret back rooms. And so there's a lot of data that exists about how those bodies work or how they look or how they, how clothing fits on them. And there's not for plus there is one company, um, Alvinon that does, you can get, um, custom made dress forms and they've done some body scans on bigger bodies. And so, cause they will make a dress form anything. And like on one hand, it's amazing. And it works really well. On the other hand, it doesn't like take into account that plus bodies are squishy. Like dress forms are hard. Mm, yeah, they that's true. Shape, but like, you can make it in the shape of my belly, but I can squish my belly into different pants than can get onto that dress form. Right, right. And so I think that that's a whole another part of it is just that um, brands aren't understanding how they don't they don't know how to how to design for our bodies and um, brands that do mostly they're indie brands that I know. But we have done, we all have done so much research and so much like development to make these things work. And it just is, um, it's amazing to watch these companies make mistakes that are costing them hundreds of thousands, mm -hmm. if not millions of dollars over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it would be a very simple solution if they just actually hired people that understood the bodies. Totally. So. Throw some money at the problem because they're losing yeah. so much money. And I think yeah. I have worked places where there was a separate design team for plus size because it's so different. I've also worked places where it was the same person. And I that just seems so crazy to me because mm -hmm. it's an area of expertise. Well, it's also something that's not taught in schools. Like I think – Probably like the first time I heard of any plus classes in fashion schools were like two years ago. That's insane. We're talking, yeah. didn't you just say the average size American woman is an 18? Mm -hmm. No wonder the fashion industry is going bankrupt. They're fucking stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, what do you think of like, like using Universal Standard as an example? these brands that are making all the sizes like they're put like from size zero to size 40 do you um, think that's necessary do you think it's a good idea i think it's necessary if they're going to do it correctly i think the waste of everyone's time if they're not <laughs> right right and it's expensive oh yeah i mean you know develop like people it's something that I was talking with um, one of my production people yesterday and we were just talking about the fact how like people all, I can't tell you, people all the time will come to me and be like, I have this great idea. I want to, I'm going to start a plus size line. And I'm like, cool. Okay. And it's like this thing that people think is like a fun project to take on. And honestly, like it's a little frustrating to me because I want to be like, I went to school for, what would that be, like eight eight years 
almost for this. I have been doing this for, you know, six years professionally. I like fashion is not something that you dabble in. It is very expensive. (laughs) You will spend so much money, Mm -hmm. actually make no money. And it's, it's just so hard because everyone has an idea that it's just like, well, this is just easy and we can just do that. And I feel like brands have that idea with plus. And it's just like, sometimes brands do it in a very genuine way and they listen to their customers and they respond to them with thoughtful consideration in how they design. And then there's other brands that do it because they know that they can make money there. But, and so sometimes I feel like universal standard falls into that of like, they know that they can make money. They know that they can get PR. They know that they have hot buzzwords because they are have up to a size 40. But then I hear about like, I know a lot of stories from models and people that have worked with them and they're not supportive of fat people in the way that they should be. And they don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to go down a, a huge gossip hole, but. Um, Inter- no, that is interesting to me. Uh, I will say that the thing I hear time and time again is that the quality is not very good mm-hmm. and neither is the fit. Yeah. And I had wondered if the fit was bad because they were doing too many sizes. Like once again, do they need to do, do they need to make sizes 10 and below? Because those customers have other places to shop. Why would they choose universal standard anyway? Because the aesthetic that universal standard is delivering you can find in so many other places. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can't find the aesthetic that they deliver. You can't find it in so many other places in plus. Right. But like I am someone basically like plus bodies are all different. My body, I'm three different sizes. My bust is like a 24. My waist is probably close to an 18 and my hips are a 22. Universal standard is made for people that look like a column. Like I put on universal standard and I look like I'm in sausage casing. Like it's just nothing looks good on me in universal Mm -hmm. standard. I've tried on so many things. I've gone to their showroom multiple times. I, I am literally excited to give them my money. And yet (laughs) I have one coat from them, but it's a, it's a puffer. It's a giant puffer. Like, I literally look like Missy Elliott in that one music video. <laughs> I I do think you're onto something with it being shaped like their clothes being shaped like a column. Yeah, I do think that that, and I think that applies to all the sizes. I'm too short. Yeah, too it's like these, they're for cylinders. <laughs> people who are cylinders, regardless of the size of the oh, cylinder, oh, it's oh. for cylindrical people. <laughs> I mean, like I have friends that don't. You know, I'm I have. I have, I always say I'm an exaggerated hourglass. Like I have my mother's pear shaped lower half that, um, but it's just like, uh, yeah, I, I try stuff on. I try and, you know, I try the classic fat girl trick of like, well, I'll just go up a size or two to make it look like then it's baggy and it's supposed to look like it is. But yeah, I can't, I try, I've tried so many things and I have some friends that it looks great on them. I have some friends that, you know, they make it work. And I remember I went to their showroom in New York. It was probably like four, three or four years ago. Um, 
And I literally tried on every single thing they had in my size because I was like, I want to give you my fucking money. This was before they expanded and they were only going up to like a 24 Mm -hmm, then. mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it just, everything was horrific on me. And it was just so, yet again, so disappointing that a brand was doing, and you know, and the person who was like helping me in the showroom she could just tell that I was starting to feel defeated and frustrated. And I could just tell that she was trying to bolster me up and make me feel better about it and make me, you know, get excited. And like, it just, it was, it was the story of my life when it came to clothing. And it was just like sad to have that happen in a place that I was like, once again, I was supposed to be able to, you know, find something and I couldn't. And it's yeah it was just so frustrating it's it's so disappointing because this is like a brand that I think right now has been sort of like lifted as like the gold standard of how you should do it right and that's everybody's like well what about universal standard what about universal standard but all I hear consistently is how disappointing it is oh yeah I mean they're disappointed on so many levels like They've done some shady ass shit to models and people that I know. And um, I don't believe that, that I believe that they are tokenizing fat people for their brand. I mean, I will say that uh, at my last job, I worked really hard to bring them on board and allow us to buy from them. And we did. And one thing that was so strange to me every time I would go to their offices there are no fat people working there. Mm -mm. Like that says something to me. Yeah. It says something to me that there's a culture there that is problematic for one. Mm -hmm. And that two, probably no one knows what they're doing. I mean, like, (laughs) and I don't, it just, it just didn't, it didn't sit right with me, you know, and we bought into their product and it did okay. But also people said, you know, I'm disappointed in how this fits. Mm -hmm. I'm disappointed in the quality and, you know, I've talked to other friends since then who've shopped there. And I, I guess the whole the summary is that everyone agrees it's an epic disappointment. Mm-hmm. And so there's still this wide open field there for someone to swoop in and just kill it. Yeah. Um, which maybe that will be you. I mean, who knows? I, <laughs> I like think about that and I'm like, oh. I know it's a lot of work. It would be like it would be like you. It would mean reaching a point where you did more business mm-hmm. than you did making clothes. You know what I mean? Like totally. you, you probably don't. Like the creativity would be gone. Yeah, I mean, I think that at that point, I would hope that I would like be savvy enough to realize that I need the places where I need to that I would need to hire and 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 build structure within my business would be the other spots, you know, the blind spots that I have are the things that I don't like doing. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, right now I I do everything basically. Like I I do work with um my studio mate is a pattern maker um and she does my digital grading. Um and so like I do and I have production sewers that I work with because I've gotten to a level that I can't produce everything. Um but I would have a very hard time, um, yeah, letting letting go of the, the reasons why I do what I do. 
Uh, right. Which is right. to figure out, you know, I love shopping for fabric. I love figuring out like so many designers will make a sketch and then they will go and try to find the perfect fabric because they have in mind that they need a small floral print and they need a like coordinating solid. And I'm the opposite. I go to LA, I go to all like the little teeny street vendors and random back corner places and find fabric. And then the fabric speaks to me and tells me what it wants to be. Like, I will look at it and I will touch it and I will see the pattern. I'm like, well, you have to be a dress. Like, that's what you're supposed to be. And so I think that that's something that I would like totally miss is that's like my favorite is going and haggling with men. (laughs) They're all, they're all men and they all like so many of them are cousins or brothers (laughs) or something. And I learned after like my second trip there that the first time I went and I went straight off the plane and I got fine prices. Like the prices in LA are so much better than they are in Portland. Oh, um, for sure. You know, like yeah. something that would be $12 a yard here is $3 a yard there. And so I like went straight off the plane and was, you know, a little frazzled looking and I got fine <laughs> prices. And then the next day I was going to go meet a friend for lunch in between things. And so I was like, I'm going to put on makeup and I'm going to put on a cute outfit and I'm going to put my boobs out. And I had a little, you know, it was the time of nameplate necklaces, um, like the little bar that then had like your name stamped into it. And so I had one of those and I got even better prices because they saw my name on my titties and gave me everything I wanted. So, <laughs> now when I go, I definitely look like I'm about to go to a club, but that's just so I can get better fabric prices. You know, <laughs> what you have. That's business. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what, you know, anthropology does. They just, that's they totally what they do. They get the good prices. <laughs> and then they back them up to put onto your titties. <laughs> That's exactly how it goes. Mm-hmm. So, so, what would be like? What's your dream future for yourself and Copper Union? Oh, the Copper Union can continue to grow um, for the sake of that fifteen-year-old girl that lives in Tennessee. That. Mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, doesn't know about Instagram in the ways that doesn't know how to search for Copper Union or doesn't know how to search for what she's looking for um, or what they are looking for. You know, I want, I want to, I don't want to go as far as being, I don't like, I don't want to be a household name. Like, I don't need that shit. Um, but I just, I want the accessibility of my line to continue for people. And I want to be able to provide um, alternatives to what is out there um, and be able to open people's minds to what they could possibly wear. Cause there's so many times that customers will buy something and they'll say, I never thought I could wear this color or I never thought I could wear a small print or I never thought I could wear a crop top And my response always is, yes, you can. And you should all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, I just want to be able to help people enjoy getting dressed. 
um, and help people feel like they can express themselves in their clothing. Um, and I don't necessarily have aspirations of like, oh, like, I definitely, when I started my line, I was like, I know I will, I have made it when I am in Nordstrom. And which, <laughs> like, yeah, that is my response now. Cause I'm like, I don't give a shit about being in any of your retail locations, any store. Seriously. Like, yeah. I don't even do, I don't do wholesale anymore because fuck wholesale. Wholesale and fashion is a joke. Um, there could be a whole episode on that, but. I mean, it's true though, because like, you know who gets fucked in wholesale? You yep. do. Yep. <laughs> Let me tell you, you know? a little story, people, about there's a dress that I made when I first started. Um, it was actually, I named it after my sister. It's called the Regan dress. And it's beautiful and I love it. And um, so that dress sold two stores for $100. And it cost me around 68 to produce which like those margins are not what they're supposed to be so mm -hmm. it was not working out um and mm -hmm. then those stores that dress that i sold them for a hundred dollars would sell the dress for 250 dollars mm -hmm. and like people are always like how do stores do like 70 percent off i'm like because the vendors are just taking it all they're getting screwed and like we're the ones that it's horrible for like plus the wholesale is horrific and it and it kills so many small businesses and uh i'm very glad that i'm out of that cycle and that i do not try to pursue that because it's exhausting and you have to do such massive volumes and you have to like you know you're constantly hustling trying to get new accounts and it's never enough and I thoroughly enjoy that people just have to come to my website to buy things from me. I know. I think it's, I think it's, this is like, is the future. I think yeah. that it's so dangerous to wholesale because, mm -hmm. like, I think 2020 is a really great example of why it's so dangerous mm -hmm. to wholesale because everybody canceled orders on everyone. Like, Ty, for example, has been selling his shoes, buy one, get one free. Yeah you know, periodically because so many orders were canceled on mm -hmm. him and you have like no control over it. Mm -hmm. Like you want to go to try – get into a fight with Nordstrom about them canceling your order? Well, guess what? They'll just never order yeah. from you ever again yeah. and the order will still be canceled yeah. and you're going to be left holding the bag and hoping that you can sell it off to TJ Maxx. Totally. I mean it's it's – I think that customers more and more anyway want to buy directly from someone – who they have like a relationship mm -hmm. with, like your customers have with mm -hmm. you. Who cares about Nordstrom anyway? No. I mean, I I think it just is, you know, it's it's that little girl in me that I I grew up in Seattle. So Nordstrom is, you know, a big deal there because mm -hmm. that's where the flagship store is. And like that's where I go shopping with my grandma and my mom. And like <laughs> they would, you know, I would buy shoes when they were buying dresses because I couldn't buy anything else or like they had encore their plus size section and like, but it was so, it was literally like things that my grandmother would wear. Wait, it was called encore? Oh, it's still called encore. Yep. Oh, that is terrible. Yeah. They've gotten a little bit better because BP, Brass Plum, their junior department, they started a plus line. 
and they mm. actually do same things in plus that they do in standard. But wow, their fit is still not spot on. Yeah, it's like juniory. It's juniory, but it's also you know simple things like rises are not long enough, and mm. the like. Yeah. I went with my mom. Um, it was after chemo was done and like after everything and my body had shifted dramatically during all of that. And my mom was very nice and was just like, let's go clothes shopping. And so I felt like I was 16 again. Cause I like got to go into BP and trying all this stuff that I never got to try on before, but yet I tried it on and I ended up getting like three things when I literally took probably 40 items into the dressing room because once again, it didn't fit the way that it was supposed to fit. And yeah, it's just, it's a recurring theme. And it's such a waste. Because if those clothes sell, they sell to someone who's not really happy with how they fit. Mm -hmm. And so they just end up going to like the Goodwill, right? And if they don't sell, they probably end up getting burned or going to the landfill as well. And it's just like, they just put in a little bit more work yep. there. Yep. I've, none of it would have been wasted. So it's just like it's wrong in all these ways. It's just so stupid. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Do better. Yeah. yeah. it's It just like leaves me scratching my head so many times. I know. I know. I mean, and, you know, it's like this recurring theme where stores like – or store or brand is like, okay, now we're going to add – Extended sizing, but you know what? We're not going to put like any extra work or research into it. We're just going to add two inches onto the size of it, all the measurements or something. And then it will be a flop and we'll be like, oh, we just don't have customers that are that size. And it's like, no, no, you just messed it all up. Yeah. I care enough to take my money. So it will go other places. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, do you have anything else that you would want to say to anyone who's listening? What I would want to say is in this wild year of 2020, it is more important than ever to support small businesses and micro businesses and um, that there are so many people that are struggling to keep their doors open in so many different capacities um, that... I feel like, I mean, this isn't like a giant message about plus size fashion or anything. It's just about like human compassion and trying to take care of yourself, but also remembering to take care of the other people around you. Um, And I guess um, just to tell people to keep wearing your fucking masks. Seriously. (laughs) A a giant profound message about plus size fashion, but as someone who's been making thousands of masks, I just beg people to keep wearing them. You know what? I feel like wearing a mask is like the ultimate show of compassion and consideration for other people in the world. Thank you so much, Claire, for talking to me. I know that everyone was so excited about you. You're getting like rave reviews all over the Instagram. (laughs) I can't wait until I can come to Portland and hang out with you IRL and meet your cat. Or you can come here to Lancaster County and I can show you all the Amish sites and your mom will be super gels. 
It's just such a good conversation. So Claire touched on the sizes of the fat spectrum, and I wanted to follow up on those. And what I'm about to read comes from Aubrey Gordon, who is co-host of one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called Maintenance Phase. And she's also the creator of Your Fat Friend. She just wrote a book called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, and I can't wait to read it. If you listen to the most recent episode of Maintenance Phase, you'll learn about her book and just the disgusting anti-fat stigma that this world is just like dishing out every single day. It made me cry, and then it made me really angry. Anyway, here are the sizes on the spectrum. First, there's small fat, which is the women who wear a size 1X or 2X or an 18 and lower. Small fats can find clothes that fit at the mainstream brands and can shop in most stores. Apparently, they just have to buy larger sizes, right? Medium fat wears a size 2X to 3X or a 20 to a 24. Medium fats can shop at some mainstream stores, but they mostly shop at dedicated plus-size brands or online. Super fat wears a size 4X to 5X or a 26 to a 32. Super fats wear the largest sizes that dedicated plus-size brands carry, Most of the time, they can only shop online. Like Claire was saying, a lot of stores have just pulled that out of the store and it's only on the site, which if you can only buy clothes online, I mean, that's, uh, it's not sustainable one because we're dealing with a lot of returns, but also like, what is that experience that you can't go physically try them on? You know, InfiniFat wears a size 6X and higher or a 34 and higher, and InfiniFats have an extremely difficult time finding items that fit, even when they shop online. People who fall into this category generally require custom-fitting clothes. Once again, we need to unpack our fat phobia in the same way we're unpacking racism, classism, all the badisms. I mean, it just shouldn't be this hard for someone to buy clothing. I mean, for one... Clothing is one of our basic needs, right? We need to protect ourselves from the sun and the cold and the snow and the rain. And two, getting dressed is like such a simple creative expression. I know I talked about this in the early part of my conversation with Claire, but to deprive people that feeling that you get when you get dressed and you're like, oh man, I look really good today. I'm going to conquer the world. Everyone should have that opportunity, you know? I can guarantee that all of you who are listening are carrying around a crazy amount of internalized fat phobia that is making you do bad things to yourself and to other people. So let's work on that. And at the same time, we need to stay away from brands and companies that include fat phobia as just like that un- part of their like unspoken operating plan. I've said this before. And it's something that when I said it has stuck with me and helped me make decisions. If you look at a brand's marketing, website, stores, clothing, catalog, all of it, all the public facingness of that brand, and you don't see yourself or your friends, fuck that place. They want your money, but they don't want you. It's, it's a doomed relationship and you don't need it. You deserve better. We all do. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, please, you know what I'm going to say, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe too. And of course, tell your friends.
your mom. I know a lot of you tell your moms. That's great. Maybe you should tell an aunt this week. (laughs) And don't forget, if you leave a review this month, as in December, I'll send you an anti-brunch society pin and membership card. It's very serious. Thank you to everyone who has shared our content or recommended us on Instagram. You know, this week we've been doing a lot of like secondhand gift suggestions and handmade gift suggestions because, you know, it's easy for us all to say like, oh, go buy secondhand. Oh, make it yourself. If you haven't done that before, you don't know where to begin, right? (laughs) So it's been really fun to hear all of your suggestions because some of them were really, really inspiring to me too. I was like, ah, I never thought of that. That's a great idea. And it was also awesome to hear from so many of you who have also found that secondhand gifting is like 10,000 times more fun than firsthand gifting. Is firsthand a word? I don't even know. Anyway, I'm going to try to do more content like that where we sort of crowdsource helping others. So if you have any suggestions for the next sort of crowdsourcing we should do, please hit me up. Also, if you ever want me to share a source for the statistics that I provide here or on Instagram, get in touch. As you know, by now I have the world's biggest bookmark folder. You know, I'm not a journalist, but I'm very committed to providing you with accurate, true facts and information to the best of my ability. Do you have some feedback, an episode idea? Do you want to be a guest on Close Horse? Drop me a line at closehorsepodcast at gmail.com or DM via Instagram at closehorsepodcast. Also, if you have a question, hit me up because... I love a research project. <laughs> if you want to meet other Close Horse listeners, please join the Close Horsing Around Facebook group. I'll share a link in the show notes. And P.S., I'm toying around with this idea of like a monthly sort of Close Horse virtual hangout until we can all meet IRL, where we could just like hang out on Twitch or Zoom or one of those other like non-places and just talk about what's on our minds. I could answer questions, that kind of thing. Let me know what you think of that idea and if you have any tech advice about it (laughs) because I I need it. (laughs) Also, it's not mandatory fun, okay? It's only fun by accident. And don't forget the Clothes Horse Hotline. The phone number is 717-925-7417. Give me a call. There's so much to talk about. What are you doing about Christmas gifts? You buying them? You not buying them? Christmas sweater memories. I love it when you guys call me. It's so fun. And don't forget to check out the department. I co-host it with my friend Kim. We talk about trends, taste. There's lots of weird stories, lots of laughing. There's boozy seltzer consumption. And as you know, we've been working on a series about hashtag girl boss. And guess what? We released a bonus third episode about the topic this week. And hopefully we'll never have to talk about girl boss again. <laughs> Thanks, as always, to Justin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye.